It's episode 327 of Crack the Customer Code, and we're cracking customer codes like an NSA supercomputer. Adam, I have a question for you. Okay. <laughs> what is your customer service vision for me? <laughs> for you? <laughs> <laughs> like for serving me as my partner. Do you have a customer service mission <laughs> sure. or vision about... The service that I should expect from you? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can sum up my vision for you in one word, and it's a very simple word. It's called Uh-oh. delegation. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's way too accurate. <laughs> I think we need to be more aspirational. <laughs> exactly. You don't like delegate? I don't. Not from you. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. In fact, it may be the best customer service vision I've ever come up with. Well, I don't think our guest would agree with you. <laughs> Absolutely, he would agree with me. I would just make sure to buy him drinks first, <laughs> and let him know, and let him know there were more coming. You see, bribery, Jeannie. Oh, I see. That's your vision too. No, that's but... <laughs> part of my customer service culture <laughs> for you. So we are so excited because this is a special episode. We have a repeat guest. There's only a handful of people that we invite back because you know I they mean, rock. And and this is the pinnacle, right? So so we want to make sure that uh, only the best get invited back. And Jeff Toyster is certainly among those people. So we're really excited about this conversation that we have to share with you today because he's exceptional at what he does. He's so thoughtful about it. And we always have a good time talking to him. Yeah, Jeff's one of those guys, you know, because we're about to talk about vision and culture. Jeff is truly one of the guys that lives it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know a lot of people in this space, and J- Jeff embodies everything he talks about, and he truly, he truly does walk the talk. And uh, it's just an authentic guy, and a very smart guy. He has some really great things to share in this interview. Yep, I think so. So let's get to it. So why don't you tell everybody about Jeff? All righty. Jeff is the best-selling author of the Service Culture Handbook, a step-by-step guide to getting your employees obsessed with customer service. More than 140,000 people on six continents have taken one of his video-based training courses on LinkedIn Learning, aka lynda.com. Jeff was named one of the top 30 customer service professionals in the world by Global Gurus. He was also named one of the top 50 thought leaders to follow on Twitter by the International Customer Management Institute, and Feedspot has named his inside customer service blog, one of the top 50 customer service blogs on the planet. Jeff brings an adult learning background to his customer service work and holds a certified professional in learning and performance. If you're a cool kid, you call it a CPLP. And that certification is from the Association for Talent Development. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's good to be on the line with both of you. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Adam. Hi. We're so happy you're here with us. So thank you for joining us again. That's a that's a rare honor on this podcast. It just is. so you know. A two Peter. I that's really a, a two Pete. What are they? Is it then isn't that thing like uh didn't he try to trademark it or something? Three Pete? Uh, yeah, but that was Yes, the NBA years and years ago. It was Pat Riley. That's uh, right. Was the, the opposing coach to the Chicago Bulls when the Chicago Bulls were actually Ooh, trying. I stepped on a landmine. Didn't even know you did. it. Sorry. You did. Ooh. I know. Yeah, I know. Away from that one. Yeah, stay, stay out of it. Right. Well, you're on that's two a, feet. That's awesome. That's a deep track, though. That <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, we're so happy to have you here because we always have such fantastic conversations with you. And we're also 
wonderfully geeky about this stuff, <laughs> that these topics. And as our listeners know, the idea of a customer service vision is near and dear to my heart. So I'm curious, what are the characteristics that you think are a really good one? Because this is something that you talk about and write about a lot as well. I appreciate you bringing that up. And and, and for your listeners that, that may not be on the same page just yet, what is a customer service vision? It is a shared definition of outstanding service that really puts us all on the same page. So when we talk about outstanding customer service or outstanding customer experience, it's just a, it's a definition that's unique to our organization. We can all be sure that we mean the same thing. And the characteristics, I really think there are three characteristics of a very good one. The first is it's simple. It's easy to understand. Uh, generally, the best ones are one sentence long. And we've probably seen the, the bad examples. I, I walked into a company once and their, their vision covered literally the entire lobby wall. And it was kind of <laughs> impressive artwork. But it was yeah. a bunch. You could, I hope I'm not insulting anyone. You, you could just tell that marketing got a hold of it. And th- there were just a bunch of words. And they sounded great. And they were pretty empty, right? So it was, it was unnecessarily complicated. And I don't mean that as offense to my colleagues and friends in marketing. It's more about we're trying to build something up so much we lose sight of the meeting. So it's got to be simple. The the second is it it should be customer focused, which seems like it should go without saying. But a lot of times there are things like leaders in market share, profitability, or return to shareholders. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're doing that. But if this is a a compass that we want to give to every employee that says, here's how we're serving customers. It should talk about customers. (laughs) That's the second characteristic. The third is it needs to be authentic. It needs to be grounded in reality and not just aspirational. I I had a conversation with an executive recently and she was sharing a draft of their new vision. And I asked her about one element. I said, well, this talks about communication. Tell me about that. And she said, oh, well, you know, we're, we're terrible at that. Like, well, why is it in there? <laughs> if that's well known, you're not good at it, then you were to show that to employees and people will not be confused. They'll say, this is something that the executives came up with and no one believes it and it's not true. So it has to be grounded in, in reality. So I'll give you one real simple example. Uh, JetBlue Airways, which i sure you may have heard of. Uh, it's one mm-hmm. of the top airlines in the United States, consistently very highly rated. Their customer service vision is inspire humanity. Hmm. Dead simple. It's focused on how they want to treat each other, but but certainly how they want to treat customers. And they can share story after story after story about how they're trying to bring a more human touch to air travel. And that's probably why they're so highly rated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love the idea of how you emphasized it has to be authentic um, because in some ways that plays into the whole culture discussion that we have a lot too around if you don't have an honest culture, it's really hard to be authentic. And I'll give you an example from my early career. I worked for a company for a while that was a family run business and part of what they used to talk about was being in the family. And it started off, I think, with very good intentions on their part. But it became kind of this like wink, wink about, like we would talk about like how the 
lines from The Godfather would come up, for instance, in meetings, <laughs> because we we'd talk about the family, you know, and how you can't you can't deny it. And it became opposite of what they wanted it to be, where it was us versus them instead of like you're in this thing. And I think it's a it's an example of how it wasn't truly authentic from the beginning. But then on top of that, because the culture was one where it wasn't super honest, we didn't feel like we could say anything about it. We didn't feel like we would be heard that um, it just created this whole like sub meaning (laughs) of what they wanted. And so I think being authentic, you've got to be sure that not only is the intention there, but that you're willing to hear what people have to say about it. You're willing to get that response and, and make sure that it is authentic as well. So I love that inspire humanity. I th- I've never heard that actually from JetBlue and it makes perfect sense. And just like we were talking about, Adam, JetBlue needs to come to Chicago and have a hub too, because. <laughs> <laughs> Judy is desperate for a, uh, some, some, I am. <laughs> some help in Chicago. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> Jeannie, uh, well, you know, you oh, raise a really, you raise a really good issue though. And I, I, I think there, there's a warning that should come with that honesty and that is, um, I think sometimes organizations worry about in being honest, we're exposing our warts and that's bad, but, but it's actually, it's actually good because no company's perfect and, and every culture is going to have, uh, its strengths, but, but also things that are just not quite as good and, mm-hmm. and you can't be afraid of that. I, I think the, the thing that I, I like to tell clients when they're working on creating their own vision is imagine who you are on your best day. Mm-hmm. It's still you and your vision should reflect a, a desire to be that more often. You're not always going to be perfect. And, and that's where that honesty comes in. So I'm so glad you raised that issue. Well, that's, that's a great way to say it too. Yeah, Cause that was my follow up. Cause I was curious about, okay, what if you're turning around a culture to what degree with that communication uh, comment you made earlier, you know, to what degree should it be aspirational? It maybe isn't reflective of where the culture is now, but say you're the new CEO, you're coming in, you're trying to turn the ship around uh, and you want communication to be a cornerstone. And, and that may be a joke today. So to what degree do, you know, do you make it a little bit aspirational? I think there needs to be a, a balance of both. And, and the best example I can give you is um, at my, in my local neighborhood, there's this, a lake that has a nice running path around it. And I, I like to go there for a, a bike ride or a jog or something. And, and the first two weeks of the year, it's always really, really crowded. And, and you could probably guess why, right? People have made their New Year's <laughs> resolutions like, I'm getting in shape this year. This will be different. And then, you know, two, three weeks right. into the year, it's back to normal. <laughs> Not going to be different. Maybe one of the two of those new people have stuck around. And, and I think that's the balance of aspirational versus reality. Uh, you, you can't just declare from now on, we're going to move from a toxic culture to a service culture and starting tomorrow, that's how it's going to be. It's a journey that takes a long-term commitment and you're going to have bumps along the way. I, I worked with a client a few years ago and, and they didn't have a toxic culture at all. They were just a startup. So they were building their culture from scratch. And about three years later, they're still working on it. Uh, they're doing great, but they realize it's something you continuously work on. And I think that's a pitfall for a lot of organizations. They, they feel oh, we could do an announcement, a few training programs, uh, maybe a press release, 
And hey, we're golden, right? And then come to find out, no, culture is a commitment. It's something that you have to continuously do and continuously evolve. So it has to be aspirational at all times. Um, but you, you have to build on what what really exists already. And and so going back to my my you know exercising analogy, if if you hate getting up and, and going to the lake, uh, that's probably not going to be the New Year's resolution for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really good point. And I think that part of what happens, and this isn't just for business, right? Like this is for all of us. We get into a routine and we think, oh, it's working. And then something happens that is either outside of our control or the world just changes. And suddenly the routine doesn't work, but we're too stubborn to give up the routine. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that companies in general, sometimes get stuck like that. And, you know, you look around at some of the things that have changed in the last decade, and it's pretty, it's pretty seismic, you know, it's an earthquake that's happened. And so these companies aren't necessarily keeping up because they're so stuck in their routines. Um, And so I think leadership has a lot to do with this, because if the leader does not see the changes or does not respond to the changes, then culture will suffer and they will not understand what happens. But there's also kind of a school of thought that culture is really built from the bottom up. So I'm curious your take on this with, do you think it's it has to be from leadership or do you think this is something that could be kind of a groundswell from the bottom of the organization up? It absolutely has to be from leadership. There's no way around it. And uh, it, it's, it doesn't invalidate what you're saying, Jeannie. It, 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 it does need to come from the bottom up, but, but leaders will either enable that or they'll crush it. Mm. And, and so, when, for example, when, when I studied companies that have really strong service cultures, you know, one of the things that I realized that, that leaders in those organizations were facilitators. They would invite, for example, frontline employees to participate in defining the customer service vision and deciding how we're going to execute it. And in organizations where they did not have a strong uh, customer service culture, the leader might decree it. You know, it, it's it's from on high, hey, we had a retreat, we came up with this great vision and you folks now go be it from now on. So without that leadership though, um, it, it, it can't enable the culture really to, to build itself in a, in a way that, that is, is organized or, or stewarded or shepherded. So I, I, I really identified, I think, three core roles of a leader in shaping a service culture. One is you have to model it. If you're not modeling it, your employees will take their cue from leaders. And, uh, you know, as an example, if, if you are saying, hey, you, you need to be customer focused, and then you, you treat your employees poorly, you're modeling a different behavior than you're expecting your, your employees to emulate. And they're going to take cues from that. So modeling is one. The second is, is strategy. Leaders are really ultimately responsible for designing and implementing business strategy. And the question is, are they using the customer service vision to guide that? Or does their strategy create conflicts with the vision? In other words, are they saying we're, we're going to create an elevated level of service? Meanwhile, we're cutting costs to the bone and we're really delivering a bare bones product. I mean, that's a strategy conflict, right? That leaders are creating. Mm-hmm. And the third is communication. 
Because if leaders are facilitators, they need to constantly communicate the vision and remind employees. And the funny thing, I've noticed that employees tend to understand the importance of something by how often leaders talk about it. And if leaders talk about service culture all the time, people will get that that's important. And if they talk about it once and then never mention it again, it's probably something else that comes up more often that will kind of move to the forefront for employees. Mm-hmm. It's like the big banner. You know, they put up a big banner and says, you know, we're number, we're going to focus on customers. And then it gets dusty and people just walk by it every day. Yeah. You're always against the banners. Jeannie. I know. I am. I'm sorry. I'm you have sorry. a bad customer experience at a banner shop. <laughs> no, I've just seen it way too often. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, it's actually a good segue um, to you know, something you and I are both passionate about is tr- training, Jeff. And you know, you talk about just mentioning it once or putting up the banner. Well, you can really tell when somebody's invested in creating a great culture because they actually take the time, the effort, the energy, the resources to put it in to training. So let's talk about training through that lens of culture. How do you train employees to embody the culture? Adam, I really appreciate you bringing up training because as, a, as an adult learning professional, I think I have a different view of training than many folks out there. I think we often think about training as a series of, of steps where we're going, taking people through content. Hey, I'm going to bring you through a training class. I want you to take these three training modules. And that's really not training at all. That's just content delivery. Training is we're bridging a gap between uh, something that you didn't know or couldn't do. And we, we bring you through a process we call training. At the end of it, you know it or you can do it. And so when it comes to uh, executing a service culture, where training becomes really important is we need to show our employees how to embody that culture. And, and you can you can test this. Your listeners can test this today. I'll give you three questions to kind of do a little mini training assessment. The first question is, employees need to know what is the customer service vision? And that's trainable, right? We can train them on the answer to that question. The second question, though, a little trickier, what does it mean? And, and what this what this is getting at is we want people to not only be able to recite it or point to it on a poster or a handout, but be able to describe in their own words what that means. That's also trainable, right? That's a discussion you could have. That's content you could provide. The third step then, and it's probably the most critical, is how do I personally contribute? In other words, what behaviors, what examples in my daily work are reflective of the customer service vision? And that's also training because that's helping people connect what they do with the larger vision. And here, I think sometimes people get a little confused. Uh, uh, I think, Adam, you, you know, your book, you did a really good job, I think, of, of defining what it means to be a hero, you know, being your customer's hero. And it, it's, it's, it's in that moment being a hero to the customer. But, but I think sometimes people get confused. That, does it mean I have to go above and beyond for every single customer? And it's not really. It just means that you need to step it up just a little bit to do something that's in alignment with the ultimate goal of serving that customer. And if you can figure out what it is you do in your job that contributes to that, then you'll understand the vision. So it, it, I think your listeners could tr- test this out right now. How do employees answer those three questions? And if you get really different answers from different employees, that shows you you probably could use a little bit of training to get everybody on the same page. 
Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Be Your Customer's Hero, available at booksellers. Oh, my you. God. Yeah. See what I have to put up with? <laughs> so sorry, Jeannie. <laughs> we're supposed to be promoting our guests, but, you know. I have <laughs> Adam's book on my shelf. So I, uh, I have, I'm being authentic and honest here. Oh, uh, thank you're you, a Dad. good but, friend. But that is, you know, that is actually an important gap, though. And that's I'm so, I'm so glad you sort of laid out those three questions, because that's where I, I've seen so often and I guess it's, you know, from that lens we share on the training side, that that gap in knowledge between, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm supposed to take care of customers. What are the behaviors that actually allow me to do that in my job, in my role? What are the reactions I need to have and the skills I need to have mm-hmm. to execute when it goes off the tracks in my role? Uh, so I, mean, I think those questions are really powerful. They are. And I, I also think that ties back to the banner discussion, too, because, you know, I... I one of my favorite examples of this going awry was I went for a meeting and the the minute you walked in, there was a big sign. They had a slogan about their customer experience and how they were going to be customer focused. And they also had an electronic uh, dashboard on a big screen right in the lobby. And it had all these graphs on it for how they were doing as a business. And guess who was not on the graph? <laughs> Anything about customers, <laughs> anything <laughs> about delivering that experience. Uh-oh. And so, yeah, but they didn't even connect that because they thought, but we told everybody to be customer centric and we told everybody to deliver better service. So we checked that box. So we're good. <laughs> and I think that's that's what your questions get at. It's not just about memorizing or internalizing um, a phrase. It's about actually putting it to daily use and making sure that everybody does understand the meaning of that. And what does it mean to inspire humanity? Does that mean that we always have to, you know, come up with some great opus for everybody? Probably not. But I I think those are really, really powerful. So if, if people are listening to this now and they're thinking, we want to do better at this, we want a customer service vision and we want to deliver on that. What are what's the one thing you would encourage them to go back and do? In in terms of creating a customer service vision, yeah. So I I think we we actually overthink the customer service vision. We make it way too difficult. And and if your listeners want to create one, I I have the toolkit that I use with my own clients. I've just put it out on the internet, and you can download it, and and you can follow the same steps that I follow to create that customer service vision. It's available at serviceculturebook.com slash tools. And what I would recommend is that you follow the steps. And and here's what I mean. I think a lot of time when we're consuming content about business, leadership, customer service, we consume content with no real intention. In other words, we're like, oh, that sounds great. And, And I love listening to your podcast. That's fantastic. But do we take any action? And I kind of liken the process of creating a customer service culture and particularly a vision to baking a cake. If I have a recipe for an award-winning cake and I follow those steps precisely, I will probably get a really good cake. If, on the other hand, I skip it and and choose which ingredients I'm going to pick and I leave others out because, hey, I don't have time, and I skip a few steps, I should not expect to get that cake. And and (laughs) 
and that that's my my advice for your listeners is the the steps I think are fairly straightforward, but you need to have the discipline to execute them one by one by one, and that starts with creating that that customer service vision. You get input from employees, have a, a vision writing session. It generally takes just two hours if you've done a good job with the input, and the last step is is just to socialize it with key stakeholders to make sure that people's reaction to it is, yes, that's us. Mm-hmm. Oh, this has been fantastic, Jeff. We appreciate it so much. And let me uh, clarify something. So if somebody wanted to download your toolkit, uh, is that what it's called, toolkit? Yes, it, it's okay. all the tools I use to help organizations create service cultures. Okay, if somebody wanted to download that and start this process and we're like, you know, we would really love an outside perspective, are you available to help with that process? I am. And I'm going to make a bold offer that um, you don't hear consultants make very often, which is you can email me, you can call me, and there's no strings attached. If we just want to chat about how you do this, I I don't expect you to hire me. Uh, I'd be happy just to have a conversation and help you through that process. My number one value is to be helpful. And I try to do that every single day. And so it's not always about you know, hiring me, I, I think I talk more clients out of hiring me these days than <laughs> into hiring me because I've made the tools available. I want organizations to be successful with building their service cultures. That is fantastic. Well, that is the perfect segue into where can people find you, Jeff? So I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, you can find more information about me and that toolkit at serviceculturebook.com slash tools. If you're on Twitter, uh, I'm lucky enough to snag my last name. It's at Toyster, at T-O-I-S-T-E-R. And I'll give you one last piece. Service culture is an ongoing thing. And so one of the things I've done is I've created a weekly email reminder. It's one tip via email once per week. And it comes right from my email address. So you can email me back and we'll have a conversation. You can find that at ToysterSolutions.com slash tips. Sign up for free. And uh, let's have a conversation about service. All right. Well, thank you so much. You have been of great service to us and our listeners today. So we appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you so much. And thanks for the (laughs) two-peat. Yes. We're trademarking that very soon. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Wow. Well, he's so generous with all the tools and ideas that he gives away. I hope as our listeners, you are anxiously, you know, going to check those things out and create those, those ideas in your own organization, because having a vision, having, you know, I talk a lot about customer experience mission, having that, that North star can help everything else fall in line, in my opinion. So I love the way he does it. Well, yeah, yeah, it ties into that idea of where do you put your focus and how, how do you view any situation or any interaction? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what's the lens you're going to view it through? If you're, if we talk about the frontline teams, we talk about the people that are executing the vision every day. When you know when they have to encounter a situation that they haven't experienced before, you know, it's going to take skills, it's going to take training, but it's also going to take an understanding of what their goal is, their ultimate goal, their ult- the ultimate organizational vision to really know what to do in those situations where they don't have a handbook or a training guide or a step-by-step process. Right. Right. And we talk about that a lot, how, you know, there are judgment calls every day, every single day, your employees have to make judgment calls without 
a clear process and you can't have a process or a rule for everything. And nor do you want one. You want people to be human. <laughs> so exactly. that's part of it too. Cause whenever things come up in this podcast, Janie, I just revert back to delegate and it delegate works for to me. The robots. <laughs> you to the robots. That's exactly what we're going to be all doing. <laughs> well, I hope everybody got a lot out of this. Jeff's a fantastic resource. I, it was very generous of him to offer, you know, to be there if you are challenged with this. So we, we definitely recommend you reach out to him. Do and, so. Yes. And we will continue our vision and mission here to keep things in uh, reasonable timeframes. <laughs> That's our vision. <laughs> That's our vision. <laughs> not to go. Our vision is not to be long-winded. It's very simple. <laughs> so thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate you listening to Crack the Customer Code. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Our subscribers get newly released episodes immediately and our undying gratitude. Right, Adam? undying everlasting <laughs> everlasting exactly so we are a proud member of c-suite radio be sure to check out all the great business content at c-suiteradio.com and c-suitetv.com i'm Jeannie walters and you can learn more about me and our trademarked customer experience investigation processes and more at experienceinvestigators.com and I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and our virtual training at CustomersThatStick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>